Hello, everybody. I am back with the podcast I promised you guys. The top 10 movies of the decade. The top 10 movies of the decade. Now, let me explain what the criteria this is because a lot of people have different movies on their list than I will. A lot of these movies I'd say are popular. A lot of these movies you guys have probably even seen. Actually, you've probably seen or at least heard of most of them. Um, and this is why. I decided to pick movies that were both, that had to have both extreme quality, but also relevance to the world of film and impact on the world in general, right? So, I didn't want to do like top 10 best movies of the decade based strictly on quality because I think there's more to that in terms of when you make a list like this. Now, I could do a top 10 movies of, of the decade based solely on quality. It'd be a very different list probably than this list. Um, but as far as this list goes, um, I wanted to sort of add in the sort of impact element to them as well. So these movies I've all seen. These movies I've, I've seen all of them. And I'm going to go in sort of, they're not necessarily put in any particular order, right? It's 10, but it's not 10 where, I, where it's like a ranked list, all right? This is an unranked list of the top 10 movies of the decade. And again, based on both their impact on pop culture and on film and their impact uh, and then, and then, and then, as well as how quality they were. Now, there are a couple years that have a couple different movies um, from them. Twenty ten has two movies. Twenty eleven has two movies. Twenty twelve has two movies. Um, but yeah, let's get right into this. And if you have different opinions than me, you can send an email to a good death films at gmail dot com, and uh, I will gladly. Listen and read your picks for the top 10 movies of the decade. So, let's get started with number 10, Mad Max Fury Road. Um, it's actually kind of hard not to put this movie on a list like this, because Mad Max Fury Road was such a phenomenon when it came out. It was a post-apocalyptic, like, twisted metal, hard, hard freaking metal hard rock movie uh that reinvigorated a franchise um that had long since been kind of dead really and um it was brought back with the new cast tom hardy Charlize theron and with the original director george miller and in doing so they created something that was inherently special when you watched it because it was a movie that was so obscene. It was an action movie, right? One of the few action movies nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year. That was so obscenely well done that to ignore it would have been an absolute travesty. And this movie is absolutely amazing. Um, the cinematography and the editing are just absolutely Wild, And when you hear that a lot of the movie was done practically, you really just, it makes you just remember that film isn't, that great action cinema isn't dead. We get kind of desensitized to a lot of samey 
badly edited, badly shot, terrible plot action movies nowadays. And Mad Max Fury Road reminded us that it doesn't have to be that way. And not only doesn't it have to be that way, but you can use your action movie to say something. Mad Max Fury Road obviously has very upfront commentary about both feminism and um, environmentalism and what's being done to the environment and the road that may or, that we, and the furious road that we may or may not find ourselves on if we do not uh, make a change now in terms of ensuring that uh, we don't let the world get this way. And I think it's really good. On its own, it's a very succinct two-hour movie, keeps going, never a dull moment, which I really appreciate because a lot of times action movies will take, you know, they'll take the slow break and then you kind of lose it until the action comes in. Mad Max Fury Road quite literally has the action going, the story going and the characters building all at the same time while moving on while like literally all at the same time and it's really amazing to kind of watch that and i think we get one of the most interesting tom hardy performances and definitely one of the most interesting charlie's theron performances and maybe my favorite performance by charlie's theron ever but it was a smash hit, and it was, like I said, nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year, something an action movie hadn't really done in a long time. And it's an action movie I don't think many will forget, and it's iconic. It's going to go down as one of the most iconic films of this decade, and I'm pretty sure it already has. Mad Max Fury Road is just amazing. Next, at number nine, we have Django Unchained, Quentin Tarantino's extremely uh, 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 anticipated follow-up to Inglorious Bastards. Django Unchained follows a slave named Django who gets picked up by a doctor, by a dentist slash bounty hunter named Dr. King Schultz. And on, and on their journey to collect bounties, Django also goes on this sort of uh, own personal journey to find the wife that has been taken to taken from him and is being enslaved at the Candyland plantation. And um, Quentin Tarantino, a favorite director of mine, a, a director of mine that I will never, I never am not excited to watch a movie of his. I love almost all of his movies. I think the only movie I don't love of his is Death Proof. I think that movie is, um, it's made... I think well in terms of what it was trying to achieve, but it is not the movie for me. Uh, I don't think it's a movie that I can necessarily watch again, per se. Uh, I found myself actually kind of bored watching it. But nonetheless, Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained is a movie that, again, is another one of those movies that you were like, okay, this is like the director moving into like a next level territory of being able to make a movie, right? Because Inglorious Bastards was, I be, was probably the first sign to us that Quentin Tarantino was maturing as a director in a way that, um, you know, many directors tend to do when they get older. And then Django Unchained was the follow-up that did that, but also made a movie that was so absurdly fun at the same time. As just just about as much fun as Inglorious Bastards, maybe not as good as Inglorious Bastards. 
but just as much fun and also saying something, right? Django Unchained is obviously a movie that has a lot to do with the black experience in America, the history of the African-American in America, but also the idea that that anger and division is still alive today in ways that make this movie really cathartic, right? And I love this movie for that. And I, not, not just for that. I love that movie for many things. A, it's a really, um, I like Westerns. It's a really great Western. I think it's one of the best decades, uh, best movies of the decade because it was also able to reinvigorate that Western genre again in the same way that movies like um, Unforgiven had, right? It was able to do that. It gave us an amazing cast, right? Iconic casting with Jamie Foxx as Django and Cha- as Django uh, Freeman, uh, Christoph Waltz as Dr. King Schultz for winning his second Oscar for this movie, right? Quentin Tarantino also won Best Writing for this movie at the Oscars. And it's just fun. It's filled with iconic lines. I like the way you die, boy. Um, I count six shots. I count two guns. I'm not going to say the N-word on this program. <laughs> um and just tons of beautiful cinematography of the in the antebellum South, um, post Civil War, or pre Civil War actually at this point, and honestly I think Quentin Tarantino may have made definitely made one of his best movies within his top three movies I would say Django Unchained is in there and he made just a really compelling journey um, that shot well edited well acted well. Uh, has just the signature Tarantino-ness of just really great music uh, from that represents both the time period and modern times at the same time. I mean, there's literally a Rick Ross track on this album called a, on, on the soundtrack of the movie called 100 Black Coffins, right? There's so many just interesting, iconic things. And most people, when, they, when you talk about Django Unchained, they know what you're talking about. And another movie that was also nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year, Django Unchained. Next, at number eight, we have Parasite. Now, I included Parasite on this list because I think Parasite is going to be a movie that shows, that is going that is iconic. I mean, its Oscar win was absolutely like a, a revelation for a lot of people. Um, it's also really well done. Bong Joon-ho directed the crap out of that movie i've sung its praises on the show before but this is also the first time that a foreign film has won best motion picture of the year at the oscars and that's um that's a little bit that's history right and while i do think a lot of those movies deserve to win best picture i think parasite is one of them i would have been happy with many of those movies winning best picture uh Parasite was something a little extra for people, right? It's not all, and 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 that doesn't just extend to just the fact that it's a foreign language movie, but I think it also extends to the fact of what that movie had to say about class. Like I've said before, this movie has a very nuanced stance on class, and I just love the fact that Bong Joon Ho doesn't necessarily give very clear answers, right? On that, it's almost in the same way that Us is a movie that talks about how in capitalism there's always going to be a people that are the underclass right that are being exploited right under capitalism um 
Parasite is sort of a movie about the haves and have-nots and what the division between the haves and the have-nots, um, this anti-have sentiment that comes from the have-nots, even if the haves really haven't done anything, right? And it's interesting. And I mean, even the title, Parasite, when you watch that movie, you really start to realize as time goes on who the real parasite is in the situation. But it's a lot more complicated than just saying poor people are bad or rich people are bad. It's it's a lot more nuanced. And I think that's part of the reason why that movie resonated with people so much, other than the fact that that movie is just a, a, insanely well done and well put together. So yeah, I have Parasite at number eight. Next, we have Spike Jonze's 2013 film, Her. Now, Her is also one of my favorite movies I've ever seen in my life. I love the film. Um, and I part of the reason why I chose this movie is because Her presented a love story that was that almost became iconic because of how unconventional it was even though the movie was phenomenal and the people who saw it know that the movie was phenomenal spike jones wrote a movie about effectively about a man who falls in love with his computer but it becomes more than that it's not just a romance film it's a movie about our connectedness and the distancing of each other in a movie in a in a world where we're more connected than ever, right? We live in a world with social media where you can literally talk to people across the world. The world is smaller than it has ever been before. But with that comes the caveat that we f- that ultimately we feel less connected to people oftentimes. And her is a great it's a great movie that talks about that and also talks about that through an unconventional love story between a man and his operating system named Samantha, but played brilliantly by Scarlett Johansson and and Theodore Trombley and freaking Joaquin Phoenix, who do just amazing jobs. This movie is also has incredible set design. Um, A production design is just amazing. The costumes are amazing. The acting is top-notch. And even Scarlett Johansson, who only acts with her voice, right, is also incredible. And this movie, I think, comes to a very poignant and emotional end uh, once you get down to it that really highlights exactly what this movie was trying to say in the first place about the uh, lack of connectivity in a world that is more connected than ever. Um, So yeah, Her. Definitely you guys should watch it if you haven't seen it. I, I think the movie's great. It's shot by Hoyt Van Hoytema, who is the who is the cinematographer for Dunkirk and Interstellar? So if you've seen those movies, you've seen some of his work. Um, I believe he's also shooting Dune. So I believe he's shooting Dune. Regardless, the movie's really amazing. You guys should watch it. Uh, her number seven, number six. This is one people will definitely know. 2010's Inception. <sighs> It would be impossible to not include Inception on this list because Inception is such an iconic movie that to this day, people throw the word Inception out there as like an adjective, right? It's almost become part of the lexicon of anybody who's seen the movie and just of culture in general. How many times have, like you said, something is inside something that's inside something and somebody goes, oh, it's like it's Inception. It's like whatever Inception, right? And they'll take out the the prefix of the word and throw another prefix in there to uh 
sort of use that to relate that thing to that thing, right? Inception is an iconic movie, but not only is it an iconic movie, it's one of Christopher Nolan's best films, right? Inception, which is a movie that honestly took me a long time to really love the way I do now. I always liked Inception, but it took me a while to love Inception and really like get into it in a way that was meaningful and in make that movie like mean something to me more than it already had. Um, a film about dreams and a film about time, but also a movie about a man trying to get back to his family and the lengths that he will go to do that, right? And like Christopher, like a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies, the sort of loneliness aspect of the main character, right? Person who has ultimately a goal driven by his loved ones or something in his past, usually uh, connected to their family and just wanting to achieve it. In this movie, right? Besides just having a great story following Cobb and his team of dream heisters, if you will, attempting to get the son of a CEO to like break up his father's empire, this movie also doubles as a really entertaining piece of thrilling action cinema and cerebral action cinema. At the same time, there's tons of effects with how time is is moving at different speeds in different locations, right? There's the whole dunk him scene where they, the iconic scene where they kick Leonardo DiCaprio backwards into the bathtub in slow motion. That was one of those moments where I feel like uh, that like sold the movie for a lot of people. Like right at that time, it was just like, that was the first moment in the movie where you really understood what was going on where you really like got like the first taste of what was to come which is only furthered in the film's amazing third act with like a van falling off a bridge and like a a fight in a spinning hallway and an info and like a black ops level infiltration into a snow fortress right and then going into limbo right or just unoccupied dream space that's crumbling right waking up as your younger self in a somebody else's limbo where they are much older than you remember them being right that whole idea right that this movie is able to like kind of get through and make it all make sense which is something in and of itself that's hard to do because there's a lot of high concept stuff going on in inception Yet it made it accessible to the public in a way that most movies wouldn't be able to do. And Inception is iconic. Also a Best Picture nominee. So, Inception. Next, at number five, we have The Social Network. What is probably one of the most widely renowned movies by David Fincher and maybe one of the most accessible and... Movies by David Fincher that's like, pretty much most people would probably say that's his best movie, maybe. But a movie that, much like her, has something to say about the rise of social media in our time and what that does to people. The dehumanization that comes with it. And the idea of how capitalism, while not necessarily bad, can sort of drive somebody to do things that are bad 
in chasing sort of a a fortune, if you will, right? The ability to be corrupted by profit. And you see that in the story of Mark Zuckerberg with this movie. Acted brilliant. One of the best performances, maybe the most iconic performance um, by, oh, how am I going to forget his name right now as I'm doing the podcast? Hold up, I got you guys. Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. One of the most iconic performances by Jesse Eisenberg. Also, the very interesting dual performance by Army Hammer as the Winklevoss twins. And also, maybe the best Andrew Garfield performance we've ever seen as Eduardo Saverin. But really, the genius of this movie comes not only in Fincher's direction, but Aaron Sorkin's brilliantly crafted script. With, as Aaron Sorkin says in his Masterclass um, YouTube video ad, his dialogue is like, taking what somebody has just said to you and then punching them in the face with it, right? That is prevalent throughout this film. There are tons of amazing, snappy, savage, if you will, back and forths between characters that, that ultimately you wonder how could somebody ever write something like this that's this good. It's quite amazing. And honestly... There's just so much going on in that movie that's brilliant. I mean, the opening with the equation is just one of the best scenes to ever happen this decade. That as well as the rowing competition sequence, right? All There's just tons of moments like that. And then even its very interesting and poignant ending, right? That when you watch the movie... Oh, and then the opening sequence with Jesse Eisenberg and Rooney Mara's character talking. There's just so many amazing scenes in this movie that not only build these characters, make their world make sense, but also has something to say about us, right? And something to say about the world that we live in today currently. Awesome, awesome movie. Next, at number four, we have Nicholas Winding Refn's film, Drive. Drive is a movie that when I first saw it, I honestly was just blown away by by it. It was my first ever movie that I had seen by Nicholas Winding Refn. And I think it's a movie that ultimately solidified Ryan Gosling as one of the most interesting actors um, ever, right? I mean, he had made, you know, his name sort of with, like, the movie... Um, uh, what was that movie he did, the, the romance movie, um, The Notebook, right? And that kind of catapulted him into the mainstream. But that movie feels sort of like a one-off compared to a lot of what he's done. I mean, there was Crazy Stupid Love, right? That's sort of another mainstream-type movie. But Drive, Blade Runner 2049, um, Only God Forgives, right? There are movie. Brian Gosling has consistently chosen super interesting projects to be a part of. And it's quite amazing. And this movie is no different. And this movie is sort of the genesis of all of that. And maybe the be- one of the best of the movies that he was able to kind of catapult himself into sort of indie stardom at the same time with. Drive, he plays like this quiet driver who falls in love with his neighbor Irene only to find himself in a heap of trouble with a weird criminal underground uh, and it's just awesome. It's moody. 
it has this neon sort of feel to it in the sound design, in how it's shot, right? It's dark. It's got brutal action sequences. It's got brutal violence in this movie. That's that's like makes you want to turn around and look away. But it's a story that you just cannot take your eyes off of, and it is a classic story. A man, a man, almost as if it's a modern day a man with no name tale, right? That would have been added to the Sergio Leone Clint Eastwood trilogy in a way. It is perfectly acted by Ryan Gosling, and also Nicholas Winding Refn's best outing to date. Um, this is the work of a master, and it is a movie that ultimately has has sort of changed film a little bit since it come out. There's a lot of sort of drive knockoffs in movies nowadays. And that has and that just speaks to the sheer power and quality of Drive when it came out. Next at number 3, we have 12 Years a Slave. This movie is brutal. This is Steve McQueen's third feature film that tells the story of a man from the north who's kidnapped, a black man in the north who's kidnapped and made a slave in the south. And after 12 and and you watch him over his 12 years of slavery that he has just trying to survive and get out. And it's crazy, right? This movie won best motion picture of the year at 2013 Oscars and that was a pretty interesting year I think Catherine Bigelow's Zero Dark Thirty which also almost made it onto this list um, uh, was also nominated and it just proved to us that Steve McQueen it proved to the mainstream that Steve McQueen was a master that a master filmmaker that, that that was a force to be reckoned with because this movie's before Hunger and Shame didn't really reach a wide audience. But 12 Years a Slave has become iconic. Based off of a book by the same name with the same story. It was brutal. It contains lots of just long takes that are just absolutely hard, harrowing to watch. And it's a hero's journey. It's a, it's, it's a hero's journey in a way, in a very unconventional way that I think is part of what makes it iconic in the first place. And, I mean, who can forget that amazing performance by Lupita Nyong'o and Chiwetel Ejiofor? I mean, my goodness. How? How were they able to do this and make a movie that was just this realistic and will ultimately go down as one of the most iconic portrayals of slavery in America? Since movies like Roots, right? This movie is like a Roots for our time when it came out. And ultimately, it brought to light... And it re-brought to light a lot of the horrors of slavery that many may have forgot about in a time where, you know, sometimes things get really good and sometimes you forget how brutal history is. And 12 Years a Slave was the movie that kind of did that. (laughs) But yeah, it's 12 Years a Slave. All right, we're here at number two with Moonlight. Moonlight, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. A movie that a lot of people, I love how Barry Jenkins talks about how he's like, after Moonlight, people are like, oh, you're an overnight success. I'm like, you're an overnight success. I was like, that was a damn 10-year night. (laughs) Um, Moonlight is a film that 
honestly has a the most iconic best picture win of all time probably because they messed it up and it announced la la land as the winner right which became a huge thing right a huge problem for the oscars but also it's a film that talks that that ultimately becomes iconic in a different way though not only is it a a quality movie that's insanely well done in rewatching it uh, over the summer, I just remember being just entranced by what Barry Jenkins was doing on screen. It was absolutely phenomenal, right? But also, Moonlight is a film that, you know, follows the story of a young black kid who's figuring out his sexuality, but not in, in any exploitative way, but in a way that seems so carefully done, it almost feels as if it's not even a movie at all. It feels as if you're watching real life. And that is one of the biggest compliments you can give a movie that's meant to be sort of naturalistic like this, right? A movie that's meant to sort of just show these three time periods in this person's life, but not sort of push anything to the forefront, right? But using just the context of their environment, using the context of their interactions, right? This movie could have done the Oliver Stone thing, which was to shove all of its political commentary in your face, when this movie doesn't have to do that. This movie just has to follow this character. This movie just has to let this character live his life. And with that, you are being able to understand these social contexts content the political content that's going on and ultimately i think it was a well-deserved best picture win and it's a movie that to this day inspires me and inspires a lot of people in film because this is a movie from an indie filmmaker that many may not have even heard of prior to this right whose main feature film before was medicine for melancholy right and this movie absolutely blew people away moonlight and next, at number one, now this is probably going to be a very unpopular opinion, um, uh, but I really love this movie, and I think that this movie um, sort of encompasses, I think, a lot of where cinema went uh, in the 2010s. And that is Terrence Malick's film, Tree of Life. This movie is Terrence Malick's best work he won the palm door for it it was nominated for best picture tree of life is a transcendental like journey through the universe and time but at the same time follows the story of this family in the 1950s and then what one of the sons is all grown up in the future and and then weirdly just it's a movie that's existential not only in its subject matter but in its execution a film that takes time to go takes time out of its story of this 1950s family to literally chronicle the beginning of the universe through to the to the to the generation of humankind right it's a movie that has so much to say with virtually no dialogue there's very little dialogue in this movie too but it's an experience that feels almost religious right this is one of the last sort of experimental almost avant-garde type films that that 
has come out into the mainstream that actually meant something, right? That actually had something to say and was able to say it well. Terrence Malick is up to this point in time was not a stranger to having really great technique and really great form, right? And he was able to weave all of those and do something that a lesser director wouldn't have been able to pull off at all, which was to make a movie that speaks to you directly, right? That a movie that I know it's a cop out to say like it's almost like it what you think it means is what it means, but it's not a cop out in the sense that a lot of those movies are the you it means what it means to you because the director couldn't decide what it meant. Tree of Life is pretty clearly a movie that Terrence Malick knows what it means to him, but he wants you to get your own thing out of it. And I think I think he made a pretty amazing film that is a, that I think to this day has has still influenced movies. And every time I watch a movie today, especially like a bigger movie or there's a lot of movies I watch today that are I can see just the inspiration that this movie sort of laid the foundation of. I mean, Terrence Malick is a legend, and I think this movie really highlighted a lot of what he was able to bring to the 2010s in spirit before he kind of lost his mind with the last three movies he's done. But nonetheless, I think Tree of Life is an amazing film. And that is the top 10 unranked movies of the decade, in my opinion. I thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you guys next time. Peace.